This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Coo Cullen, Deirdre of the Sorrows, Grow New Whale. From giants right down to fairies, of both the trooping and solitary, and those who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, the Merrow Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore and mythology, we retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, culture and the history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olahan. I am your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 134 of Fireside. Today on the Irish Storytelling Podcast, we continue with the second part of the second branch of the Mabinogion, the collection of tales from Welsh mythology. This is the story of Wales at war with Ireland. But first, I want to give everyone a very very big warm welcome. If you haven't done so already, please follow me over on Instagram at Fireside Bard if you want to check out everything new with the podcast and with my poetry and everything else that I'm up to. Uh, if you're not on social media you and you want to say hello, you can email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com. And if you really want to support the podcast and join the intimate community of Fireside listeners, you can do so over at headstuffplus.com. If you head over to headstuffpodcast.com and join Headstuff Plus, where for as little as five euro a month, although you can pay more if you want, you can gain access to not just bonus material for Fireside, but for all of the podcasts on the Headstuff Podcast Network. Right now, our latest bit of bonus material for this month is a very special episode on the poetry of W.B. Yeats and the mythology within the poetry of W.B. Yeats. That's over there for all listeners of Headstuff Plus at the moment, as well as a few other bits, including an episode from St. Patrick a couple of months ago. And there is going to be a lot more coming very soon because I'm still in Australia as we record, um, but I am flying home tomorrow Hopefully, uh, we've had our flights cancelled once already. Very difficult time to be in Australia. Very difficult time to be on planet Earth at the moment still, isn't it, folks? But uh, hopefully, we'll be getting back home tomorrow. And then once I get back in Ireland, we can keep growing and building Fireside to continue to be bigger and better than ever. So that's over on Headstuff Plus, if you so choose. Uh, No new supporters on Headstuff Plus for this week, but we actually do have two new patrons over on the Patreon. Uh, So I want to give a very big thank you to Claire Slattery and Declan Gallagher for joining the Patreon family, because the Patreon account is still there for all those who have supported the podcast since the beginning. Headstuff Plus is just where we've been gearing people in the last while because it's more of a homegrown uh, platform founded by the very people who supported Fireside in the very beginning, the Headstuff Podcast Network. So thank you, Claire, and thank you, Declan. But the story for this week, folks, is a continuation on last week, which we had with the blow to Branwen, with the marriage of Branwen, Princess of Wales, to Matholoc, the King of Ireland. Branwen was the sister of Bendigade Vran, the King of Wales. And as we heard in the story last week, Branwen is married to Matholoc, and one of Branwen's half-brothers, Ethnician, 
is outraged by this for his permission was not asked. So he mutilates and maims all of Matholoc's horses. And as a retribution for this, Matholoc is about to leave Wales forever, but Bendigade Vran makes peace with him by offering him a cauldron that if you put dead bodies into, they will arise the next day, good as new, except they won't be able to speak. So Matholoc brings Branwen over to Ireland. They have a child named Gwren, Gwen, but as soon as they have this child, the Irish people become outraged themselves about this insult to Ireland that was done with the maiming of Matholoc's horses. So Branwen starts to be treated appallingly. She's beaten, she's forced to work in the kitchens. So she sends word back to Bendigade Vran, her brother in Wales, who, by the way, is so large that he cannot fit inside any building. And she, Bendigade Vran, summons all of the lords of Wales and sails for war with Ireland, which brings us up to part two of the second branch of the Mabinogion. We'll chat more a bit more afterwards, of course, but this is Wales at war with Ireland on Fireside. Wales at war with Ireland. Two swineherds were tending their drove of pigs on the east coast of Ireland. They looked out over the Irish Sea and saw something coming from the west the like of which they did not trust their senses enough to believe. They ran to the fort of Matholoc, the king of Ireland, and told him, Lord, we have looked out over the sea and have seen a forest where no forest existed yesterday. Not only that, but a great mountain in the background of the forest, with two lakes between its colossal ridges. And this forest and mountain, they're all moving, Lord, and they're moving towards us. Matholoc thought this understandably strange, so he went to the one person who he thought might know the answer, his wife, Branwen, daughter of Clear, one of the chief maidens of the Island of the Mighty. Lady, "'Have you any answer to this mystery?' asked Matholoc. "'Truly I am no lady,' replied Branwen. "'You brought me over here as your bride, "'and since the birth of our son Gwern, "'you and your people have treated me with utter brutality. "'Every day I am forced to work in the kitchens, "'and at the end of each day I am beaten by the butcher. "'And what is my crime? "'Ethnician!' The brother of my brother, Bendigade Vran, mutilated and maimed your horses. A deplorable crime, but not the fault or responsibility of your wife and queen and mother to the heir of Ireland. So do not insult me further by calling me lady now. However, I do have the answer to your mystery. The moving forest you speak of are the masts and sails of ships. And the mountain is my brother, Bendigade Fran. And the lakes on either side of the mountain ridges are his eyes gazing towards Ireland. And he and his men are coming to this land to avenge my torment and to fight a war with Ireland. Matholoc began to sweat. He did not believe he could win a war against Wales, particularly not against a king so large he had never been able to fit inside any building. 
He sought counsel, and his lords advised him to retreat across the Liffey River in Dublin and destroy the bridges across it. For no ship could cross the Liffey, and without bridges they would be safe. When Bendigade Vran and his brothers Manadawin, Nishian, and Efnishan, and the collected horde of 154 cantrefs of Wales arrived in Dublin and came to the banks of the River Liffey, they were baffled that such a small river could not be crossed, protected as it was with enchantment. They would have to build a bridge over the river, and as he was colossal in size and the king over his people, Bendigade Vran said, I will be a bridge. And he lay down across the river, and his soldiers walked across his back to the north inner side of Dublin. This was the very literal origin of the metaphorical phrase, I will be a bridge. Once the Welsh were across the Liffey, it seemed like the Irish cause was lost. So Matholoc sent a messenger to the Welsh camp. Lords, Matholoc, the king of Ireland, has relinquished his power to his son Gwern, son to your sister and nephew to Bendigade Vran. The intention of the marriage of Branwen and Matholoc was always to unite the two nations of Wales and Ireland. Let that not be lost now. But Bendigade Vran was not satisfied. Further retribution must be attained for the savage treatment of my sister by the Irish. I wish to be lord over Ireland myself, and to have Matholoc's life. The messengers returned to the king of Ireland and advised, Lord, do not give in. Bendigade Vran has never been able to fit inside any house, fort or castle. If you can construct a building so large that it can contain the King of Wales, that he might finally know the feeling of feasting and sleeping indoors, we believe this matter can finally be solved peacefully. The negotiation was returned to the Welsh, and Bendigave Ran accepted the terms. The house was built at an alarming rate. Every labourer and tradesman in the country was roped into the cause. The house would be held up by 100 pillars and lit by 50 fireplaces, so large that were you to enter one end with every fire lit, you could still not see the other end. But the Irish also had a cunning plan. On either side of the 100 pillars, the Irish placed a sack, supposedly containing flour or meal, but instead... Each contained an armed soldier ready to ambush the Welsh if negotiations soured. Unfortunately for the Irish, the first Welshman on sight was Efnishan, the very one over whom the whole horrible affair had begun. It had been Efnishan who had mutilated Matholoc's horses when he heard the Irish king had married his sister without Efnishan's consent, and it was Efnishan who now entered the house and inspected every inch of it with savage intensity. Efnishan approached the first of the two hundred sacks hanging from the pillars. He asked an Irishman, What is in this bag? Flower, friend. So Efnishan put his hand into the sack until he felt the head of the soldier inside. Efnishan then squeezed the soldier's head until he felt his hand meet brain and bone. 
Efnition then went to each and every single other sack in the house and crushed the heads of each soldier inside. He was vicious and brutal and very effectively so. After this, the Irish entered one side of the fort and the Welsh entered the other and Bendigade Vran was so overwhelmed by finally fitting inside a building, the feud between Ireland and Wales was ended, and a feast began. At the feast, the Welsh king met his nephew Gwern for the very first time, son of Branwen and Matholoc, and the heir to the throne of Ireland. The three-year-old crown prince was beloved by all of his uncles, shuffling around and being embraced by Bendigade Vran, Manadawan, and Nishian. But when Gwern approached Efnishin, the Machiavellian Welsh lord said to himself, The crime I am about to commit will never be forgiven. Efnishin then grabbed the child by his heels and tossed him into the roaring fire. When Branwen saw her only son burning, the maternal shock and grief compelled her to jump into the fire after him. But Bendigade Vran grabbed his sister with one hand and protected her between his arm and shield. An all-out bloodbath descended upon the house built for Bendigade Vran. Swords were drawn, and Welshmen and Irishmen hacked and stabbed and cut each other down. But in all of the chaos, the Irish had a distinct advantage. Bendigade Vran had given Matholoc a cauldron that if you put the recently dead into, they would arise the next morning alive and well, although unable to speak. The Irish piled their dead into the cauldron, and when the morning dawned, their silent armed forces were alive and well, and ready for battle. Efnition looked around at the Welsh dead that would never rise again, and said to himself, It is I who has brought this devastation on the island of the mighty. Efnition then posed as a dead Irishman and when he was thrown into the cauldron, he stretched out with all his might and broke the cauldron into four pieces. But in the process, Efnition broke his own heart, and the sinister brother of the King of Wales died, with some slight redemption. When the fight was ended, only seven Welsh lords survived. Among them were Manadawan, Prederi, son of Pulch, Prince of David, and Talizan, the poet. Bendigade Vran had been mortally wounded when a poisoned spear stabbed his leg. He asked his surviving lords to cut off his head and take it to London, and face his head in the direction of France, so that forevermore it would ward off attacks. The seven Welsh men, and Branwen as the eighth, sailed back to Wales with Bendigade Vran's head. As for the Irish, only five women were left alive. Each one was pregnant and went to five different parts of the island to start new families. And this is the Welsh origin of the five provinces of Ireland, Leinster, Ulster, Munster, Connacht and Meath. When the Welsh arrived back on the island of the mighty, Branwen looked back across to Ireland and before her to Wales, and said, Woe to me that ever I was born. 
Two nations have been all but wiped out on my behalf. And Branwen, daughter of Clear, sister to Bendigaid Vran, wife to Matholoc, and mother to Gwern, died of a broken heart. To be continued. <laughs> Folks, as you all know, Fireside is a proud son of the Headstuff Podcast Network, which is Ireland's largest network of independent podcasts and a loving home for the creative and indeed the curious. There are so many other podcasts I could recommend to you on the network, some of which inspired me to approach Headstuff myself. Here's a taste of one you might enjoy. Okay, it's Jibs here from Pints of Malt. So our podcast is basically group of Irish Nigerian lads who tell their stories growing up in Ireland as well as Nigeria and we share our experiences with all of y'all. We also had a bit of comedy as well, you know, to get y'all laughing, get y'all through the week in these tough times that we are in. So y'all sit back and just, you know, enjoy the show. As Jib said, we're the Prince of Mott Podcast. You can find us on all streaming platforms, including the Headstuff Network. And that is the story of Wales at War with Ireland on Fireside. And I hope you enjoyed it. Yes, the second part to the second branch of the Mabinogions. We're already now halfway through the four branches, which are the most solid collection of the Welsh tales. There's about six or seven other tales, but that are far more separate. But these are the four major sections that are all quite connected. And the second branch was quite distantly connected from the first. The first branch being the first three stories we had, the stories of Pulk, Prince of David, Rhiannon, his wife, and Prederi, his son. Prederi has a cameo in this story at the end where it is mentioned that he is one of these lords who went goes over to Ireland with Bendigade Vran and he is one of the surviving lords at the end, one of the only seven Welsh to survive, or eight, including Branwen, one of the only eight of them to survive. So we can't say for sure that chronologically this does take place after Polk's story and after Polk, Prince of David, has died, if Praderi is already lord over the seven cantrefs of David. And I know for sure having obviously researched and written a bit ahead, the next part of the third branch of the Mabinogion is very much a direct continuation of the second. There's no loose connection and bizarrely connects the first two branches far more than the branches one and two connect with each other in a very tangible way that I won't spoil too much before we get here. But let's let's unpack this story here. I love the beginning of this. I love it opening with these swine herds looking out and seeing these uh, this forest and these mountains and these giant blue lakes all coming over the horizon. I adore that so much because the first story, the first part began with the Welsh looking over to Ireland and watching Irish ships arriving, very clearly knowing that they were ships. And this story opens with two swine herds looking out over to Wales and seeing ships coming over. But through either their stupidity or their own imagination, they do not see ships and a giant. They see 
a forest and a mountain moving towards them. I spoke about the mythology and size can be very hard to even wrap our imaginations around. Bendigade Fran being of such a colossal size that he has never been able to fit inside any building. And yet he is having perfectly normal, quiet conversations with normal, regular-sized people, many of whom are his family, with little to no, none, in fact, explanation of why he is so large and they are so small. It is very like the very first episode of Fireside where we have this idea that gods of Ireland grew smaller and smaller the less they were believed in until they became fairies and then mortal heroes grew and grew until they became giants. So we have a double thing of the metaphor of the legend of Vendigevran increasing his physical, literal size. But we get some sense of the monstrous scale of this man by the fact that he is seen as this mountain and that there are two great lakes on either side of this ridge and they are actually his eyes on either side of his nose it truly colossal and but like the idea of forests and a mountain makes it bizarrely slightly more tangible but a wonderful setting of the scene and and a nice little catch-up because this is a part two but uh, you always like to because if i was for the most part unless unless it can absolutely not be helped I like people to be able to just dip in and out to any episode of this podcast that they just like the name of or, you know, that they're just scrolling randomly through. Even if it is a part two or a continuation, I would always like to catch people up because I know that people, a lot of people binge it and listen to it together, but some people might listen to it week to week and, you know, there can be so many names and details to remember, so I would always like to catch everyone up. But this felt like such a beautiful, natural, non-expositional way that you could set the scene and bring everyone back to back up to speed where we are at this point in the story. So we have Mytholic, King of Ireland, in Dublin because the River Liffey is mentioned, the only detail about Ireland that is mentioned, except for the incredible fun fact about the five provinces at the end. We have the, for anyone who hasn't seen the Liffey, it is a very small river, certainly a very narrow river, so the idea of it being uncrossable if the bridges were removed is quite funny, which is why I thought that it must have had to have been some sort of enchantment. You then have Bendigate Fran laying down over it. They seem to forget that he was an, a literal giant and could be a bridge. So they all cross into Dublin, and then there is this task set that Mytholic will build a house finally big enough for Bendigate Fran. And he does so, but plans this scheme as well to hang these 200 soldiers on the inside to jump out and attack the Welsh if negotiations sour. And we get the real star of this story, as he was of the last story as well, is Ethnician. It is our villain in the piece. The first true villain we have had in the Mabinogion so far. He is he is like some combination of Jafar and Loki. He is like Don John in Much Ado About Nothing. There's no charm or redemption, redeeming quality to Ephnition. He is, except his just pure, your admiration of his pure cunning. But he is just, he is a guy who just clearly wants to watch the world burn, but he is incredibly clever. 
and nothing, nothing gets past him. And he has this incredible scene where he goes in and is the first to inspect this house and immediately, of course, suspects the Irish because he is the one who's got them all into this mess in the first place. Somehow is still alive with no consequence at all. He seemed to have not been held accountable for the hundreds of horses he personally mutilated and maimed. But this is his attempt at his redemption by him going in and feeling inside these flower sacks and crushing the heads of each and every one of these 200 Irish soldiers in the flower sacks, crushing them. And it's very, it's very detailed in both versions of the story I adapt this from, the Oxford World's Classics uh, version and the audio by Matt Addis of Ethnician closing his hands together until his fingers meet in the middle between brain and bone and that the visceral visceral gore of that is incredible so once the 200 irish are dead definition seems to kind of let this one lie he doesn't go back to bendigate vran and say they were trying to attack us Bendigid Vran is still just so overwhelmed by the colossal size of this house and actually being able to be inside the warmth because in the last story we're told that all of his feasts and all events are either totally outdoor or they're a patchwork of these huge canvas tents. So now he actually knows what it's like to be indoors. Interesting parallels as well to the the house of iron that is built for the two giants in the first part in the first part of the second branch as well of the two giants who have the cauldron that replenishes the lives of the soldiers uh, that was built to trap the two giants before they broke through it and went over to Wales. So this is another case of the Irish building, this colossal place, to trap a Welsh giant. Um, but metho- those two those two giants who had the cauldron, they seem to be more of a giant as a race, whereas... Bendigate Vran, again, seems to just be a very, 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 very large man. And he is so overwhelmed by finally being able to fit inside a house that they do what they do best, and they decided to put their cares aside and to have a feast. But if Nishin, again, and this is where there's no, there's no redemption for this, you know, you could slightly see his an angle on his cruelty to maiming and mutilating the horses over the idea of his own sense of pride for not being asked and not approving of his sister marrying an Irish king. And then, of course, they're going over to war, so of course he's going to inspect this house for any traps. But this is where it is pure villainy and just pure evil. Ethnician grabs the heels of his three-year-old nephew who he's meeting for the first time and tosses him to burn alive in the fireplace. And that is what really, of course, everything is gone then. And it's very swift in the same way that the Battle of Helm's Deep in in Lord of the Rings is a very, very short section of the book, whereas, of course, like over an hour of screen time. We're told very little about the actual fight that happens then in the ensuing in the, in the ensuing part of the sto- story. We just know that Gwen burns alive and then suddenly everyone is dead. Swords are drawn. You can just imagine the, 
the frantic chaos. Like Bendig- Branwen tries to throw herself into the fire after Gwen. Bendigate Varan saves her and just everyone else draws their swords and starts cutting left, right and centre. And the Irish have this cauldron that they can throw their dead into and they rise, which reminds me an awful lot of the first battle of Moitara, one of the very first stories of the Tua de Danon. With the cauldron, there is a cauldron in that story where the Tua de Danon throw their they're dead into and they arrive good as new the next day a very very interesting comparison considering it's the irish who also have this rejuvenation ability and even though the cauldron was given to a um, mytholic by bendigate Vran, we are told it is an irish cauldron this very possibly is a cauldron of the two they done and then a very strong connection between irish and welsh mythology so the irish are rejuvenating all of their their soldiers and the Welsh soldiers are staying dead. I think it's it's particularly tragic that they don't resurrect Gwern. They don't resurrect the King of Ireland's son and Branwen's son, presumably because he's been burnt to ash in this roaring fireplace that there was no body to throw in, especially if it ensued into blood and guts straight away with the fight, with everyone else fighting between each other. But Ethnician has one final story beat and one last attempt at his redemption for his mutilation of horses and his murder of 200 Irish soldiers and then the murder of his own nephew by throwing him in the fire. And he is the one who dies in the process of destroying the cauldron. So he is the one who is able to win the fight for the Welsh. It is at least full circle. If it is not redemption, it is a full circle and a completion of his arc. He's probably the only character in this tale with a complete arc that we can follow for across both parts of the story as I have broken them into. And he splits the cauldron into four and in the process tears his own heart apart, which is a very... He definitely... He was a character who had to die. He probably deserved to die in a much in a much more brutal way than this, but at the very least, he ended what it was him that started. And at the very end, we are told that there are eight Welsh left. There are seven Welsh lords, and there is Branwen. Uh, So seven men, one woman. And we are given a list of some of the names, some of whom we know. We know Manadawan, who's the brother of Bendigate Vran, the other son of Clear. Praderi, the son of Pulk, Prince of David, who we spoke to about earlier on, and we mentioned Talazin, or Talazin, I don't have to get better on my pronunciation of him, who is a poet, and that is a poet's name who I know quite a lot from Robert Graves' book on the White Goddess, about poetic inspiration, incredibly dense book, but absolutely wonderful if you can get through it. He talks an awful lot about Talazin, the poet, so and I have a feeling he hasn't come up in, in any of the stories I've been researching so far, but I know he is a major figure in Welsh mythology. So he, he seemed worth mentioning here as his first appearance I've come across him in so far. And Bendigate Varan does survive the, the fight, but he is mortally wounded with a poisoned spear, so he knows he is going to die. So he asks the lords to cut off his head, take it to London, where supposedly the Tower of London now is, and face his head in the direction of France, so that the terror of his own head will forevermore ward off attacks, which is an incredible end to the life of this enormous, colossal king. And then the final beat, we have 
this Welsh version of where the five provinces of Ireland came from and that the only Irish that were left after this war with Wales were five pregnant women and each of them went to five distinct different parts of the island and began new families there. The exact uh, logistics of we won't bother going into here but it is thought that that is supposed to be a satirical dig at the Irish this uh, after all being a Welsh tale. You know, it is still through their presence. Although it's fair enough to say that no one really wins at the end of this. This is a very mutually destructive war uh, between the two nations. And we end, as we began with the first story, with Branwen looking back towards Ireland and looking forward towards Wales at the two nations that have been destroyed. It's not her fault, It's not, her, but she still feels responsible for it because it was over her it began over her marriage and it ended over the death of her son and with nothing left she dies of a broken heart in probably one of the most justifiable deaths by broken heart that we've seen after death of father death of brother death of husband and death of son we actually never hear of how Mytholic himself dies there's no beat for him in the story but as we're told that only five Irish women do die, we know for sure that he did. Interestingly enough, I mentioned the last time that I couldn't, wasn't sure if Mytholic was based on any actual historical Irish figure. I found out that uh, Tolstoy was, uh, had comments about this story where he said that supposedly the Battle of Clontarf and Brian Boru and Mael Shocknell and the battle for Ireland between the Vikings and the Irish and the other Irish, that that was one possible big influence on this story. And the story of the voyage of Bran, which we had for the 100th episode of Fireside, that was considered another possible in influence on this story because Bendigade Vran as a name literally means Bran the Blessed in Welsh. So the influences are there, the connections are there, and they're very exciting to find as these little Easter eggs in there, what I'm constantly on the lookout for as we, as an Irish storytelling podcast, continue to delve into Welsh mythology. So with that, I will wrap things up. That's all there is to talk about with that. Uh, I really hope you enjoyed this week's episode. It's an incredible end to this tale it was really nice because i'm enjoying doing the welsh accents but they're very stressful because i feel i have so much more of an obligation for to pay attention to detail especially with names place names character names so it's been very nice to be able to slip back into irish characters as well with this episode hopefully the irish will rear their ugly heads again in welsh mythology and hopefully the connections will abound we'll quite possibly be moving directly on to the third branch of the mabinogion next week uh, which is the story of manadown uh, directly after the events of this section. Uh, we may have a folktale. It's been a while since we have had an Irish folktale, and I know there was a request for that by one of the listeners when uh, I was talking about focusing on Welsh mythology and focusing on the Mabinogion for the foreseeable. Uh, I'll see if I can find a good one. If not, it'll be the third part, but live and wait and hope and fear. Uh, please do follow me on Instagram over at firesidebard. Email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com. Please do support me over on Headstuff Plus at headstuffpodcast.com for as little as five euro a month, although you can pay more if you want. You can gain access to bonus material for all the podcasts on the Headstuff Podcast Network. I will see you all. You'll hear me all next time. And remember, wherever you are and wherever you go, you can always join me by the fireside.
This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. Thank <laughs> you.